The In Stuff podcast is brought to you by Scratch Band, the brand new way to help you stop touching your face. Why is everyone telling you to wash your hands these days? Because they're covered with germs. Every time you touch your face, you're helping to put those germs into your body and make yourself sick. Until now, Scratch Band's patent-pending design allows you to scratch your face with your wrist instead of your fingers, shielding you from those gross hands. Made of medical-grade silicon, you can sanitize it in the dishwasher, washing machine, or even a microwave. So stop touching your face and making yourself sick and join the evolution. Scratch Band. More information at scratchband.life. Kristen. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Anything interesting happened in the last week for you? Yes. So wow. many interesting things, but I told them to you already. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, so... podcast listeners. <laughs> Let me summarize for you what interesting things happened for Kristen. That one we can't talk about. <laughs> that one we can't talk about. I ran a half marathon. You ran a half marathon. And it was fun because it's part of the Equinox runs that Fairbanks puts on, which are beautiful. Every year, it's during the time of fall when all of the leaves are gold Mm -hmm. and they're falling on the trails. And so it's striking visually, but also the entire community who is interested in running comes out and everybody's super friendly and everybody has a really fun time during the day and it's like young people and old people and everybody in between is all out just enjoying great weather before winter comes Mm -hmm. so it's always a super vibe i love the equinox run just for that it just seems impossibly beautiful here in the fall and it's not i mean i consider Coming from Michigan and certainly from Pennsylvania, fall is incredibly beautiful there, too. Yeah, it's really colorful. But for Fairbanks, it is also very beautiful in this singular sort of way because Mm -hmm. you get it for two weeks and it's all yellow. Yep. Which is really unusual. Yeah. And when, you know, it's a sunny day, it's just, it seems enchanted. Like, um, I, I will walk on the trail behind the house. I'm just like, I, I can't comprehend how pretty this is mm-hmm. right now. It's <laughs> it's a weird thing. It's like, I wish I could, I could, but I don't have the capacity to appreciate. There's no M in c- capacity. That might be my Michigan accent coming through again. Wait, what did you say? I say capacity instead com- of capacity. Oh, I didn't even hear that, but now I did. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very sensitive to my Michigan accent because I never knew I had one until I came up here and people snicker when I say things. Like milk? Milk. Bag. (laughs) To be given a. Bagel. To be given a. um, Croissant. Wait, say that again? Croissant. Would you like a croissant? Oh, wow. Yep. Like, it sounds like LaCroix. Yeah. I get in trouble for that one. I'm like, what? (laughs) Uh, And we talk about it at parties. I'll be like, 
People laugh at me because I say croissant, and they're like, <laughs> I'm like, hey. It's even more funny because you're from Michigan, a state very close to Canada with French-speaking people. I know. You could throw a rock and come nowhere near hitting a French-speaking person, but or still. Or a croissant. <laughs> or a croissant. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, what? Yeah, what happened Is... to you? No, no, we're still working on... So you you ran it, and it's been a while since you've run. It has been long. a while since I've run. I had a couple of years where I was kind of injured and out of out of running shape, mm-hmm. and so this year I made it the entire season without an injury, wow. which is lovely. It's good to be back. And to clarify, you ran a half marathon, but you ran uphill the whole time. Right? Well, you know what? They just, I thought that the Equinox had had a half marathon all the other years that I ran that race. Mm-hmm. And it turns out this was the inaugural year for the half marathon, which is breaking my head Mm because I swear that there had been a half marathon because they also had the relay. Oh. So I don't know. But was it up a hill? No, they redid the course, so it doesn't involve a bus. You told me this thing was uphill. I thought it was going to be too. And it's on the old maps where like the half mile mark, the 13 mile mark is at the very top of Estradome. Like the course, Mm -hmm. all signs indicated that we would all have to go to the top of Estradome. But I think maybe busing was a concern Mm because now it's COVID times Mm -hmm. and buses aren't the best places for sweaty people to be breathing heavily on each other. Before they were the best (laughs) place. So they just rerouted it so that it was kind of not quite an out and back. Everybody ran out to Goldstream Sports and then back Mm. to the university. Oh, cool. And so it was still really beautiful and way more flat than I was planning on. So it was really cool. Good. Yeah. Yeah. To provide a little context, it's a pretty nice fall day. Had the first, we've had a little bit of snow, but the snow actually kind of stuck this morning for the first time. Right. At my house. It was at my house So we're on the downward slope of fall now. I think this was peak week, but it's still pretty out and I got a fire going here because I turned the heat off in my house and I didn't want to turn it back on, but I knew you'd be cold. So I started a fire. You knew I wouldn't be cold? The person who's never cold? Yeah. I... (laughs) forgetting about that but i just felt like it would be rude to have you come to my house when it was, like it was very degrees. nice to come to arrive and see a fire blazing in the fireplace yeah. and now it's not really blazing because i have a high efficiency stove which means it's not pretty flames are very inefficient it's i can warm. crank it crank it back up if you want the aesthetic that's fine All right. i don't want to be i don't want to sweat out that's true during the podcast <laughs> but it's the time of year where homeowners in particular are starting to freak out a little bit because winter is coming (laughs) and if you don't get some stuff done now it's just not going to get done until spring as the token homeowner did you feel this way yeah i i get panicky because the snow builds and builds and builds and pretty soon getting out to the storage part of my garage the upper part of my garage which requires walking across my lawn anything that requires walking across the lawn is going to be pretty miserable in a couple of months. In four feet of snow. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so it's like, ah, quick. And one of the things that was on my list to take care of was to cut down trees around my house because I got all these trees that I'm under the impression insurance wanted me to cut down like the day I moved in, but I never really worried about it. Hmm. And they're too close so they could fall on the house or if there was a forest fire, you know. 
that would be I assume it's the falling on the house that's the main concern. Yeah. Which means that cutting them down is doing almost exactly what you don't want them to do. You're accelerating the risk. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've been quite... I started with the easy ones, and there's probably 30 trees, 30 plus trees I want to cut down. Three zero. Three zero. Wow. I mean, this house was built in 67, so we got, you know, 50 years plus, you know, these are whatever, the aspens that grow super fast. Mm-hmm. Um, plus whatever trees were here when they built it in the first place. I don't, I don't know if they cleared anything. So I have 30 plus trees all around the house that need to come down. And so I started with easy ones and I was pretty impressed. Pretty much every tree that I'm cutting down could go wrong and could damage the house. But when I called to get a quote on it, they quoted me $7,000 to get done all these trees. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Hmm, if you do the math, it's probably cheaper to drop a tree on my house than it is to pay these people to cut them down. I think the repair on my house would be less than $7,000. Wow. So if I only drop one tree on my house, I'm still better off. So you were impressed with your tree felling skills. I was pretty proud of my tree falling felling skills, but I also knew that experience builds confidence and confidence and leads complacency. to destruction. And complacency, which leads <laughs> to destruction. So I was trying to keep even though I was, everything was falling, most things were falling right where I wanted them to. As I got to the trickier ones, I was like, don't get complacent here. And I had one smaller tree miss the roof by about a foot. Ooh. I was like, ooh, that's close. That's a little bit <laughs> rush. I was like, oh, man. And it wasn't a huge tree that would really rip things up, but it would not have been a good thing. Huh. So this week I was working on some of the really tricky ones that are leaning toward the house. You know, if a tree is leaning away from the house, that's that's fine. It's the best case scenario. That's the best case scenario. But when you got a tree that is clearly the branches and thing, it's arcing over the house, like that's that's pretty scary. You're so, like doing math to try to figure out where you're going to cut it to bring it down. Well, I wish I could. <laughs> that's the thing. I look at it and I, the physics of it are so complex to me in terms of where... So everything is getting connected with a come along, which is basically just a, a ratchet a really powerful ratchet. Wait, it's just you cutting these trees? Oh, yeah. And you're running not just a chainsaw, but you're doing the come along as I'm well. I'm also doing the come along as well. Okay. So I get I got this one tree I'm a little bit worried about. And so I attach the come along to a smaller tree, which I kind of like. Oh, hold on. My daughter's calling. Should we do this publicly? <laughs> Hello. All right. We're back after my daughter needed to know her social security number. Now I'm going to go get a credit card. Yeah. (laughs) No, absolutely not. So I've got, I've got this tree that I need to cut down. I'm a little anxious about. And one of the things that I, when you're cutting down trees by yourself, one of the things I like is to strap it a tree to a smaller tree because it will sort of flex like a spring because one of the problems I have is when the tree starts to fall it'll take the tension off the come along and then it can go you know in an arc in any direction basically either side but if 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 the tree that you're connected to is under some pressure it will pull as the 
as the tree falls and encourage it to fall toward that tree. Mm-hmm. So I get this big bigger tree strapped to this little tree and I crank the heck out of this thing until I got like a catapult going here. And when I cut this tree down, it's going to shoot it a hundred yards across. It doesn't kick it back into your face. Yeah. No, this is really dangerous in a number of different ways too. (laughs) And so I'm (laughs) I'm cutting this thing down and, uh, and as it falls, it, instead of the small tree pulling it over because i cranked it so much it gets caught on top of the small tree (gasps) it starts to so it falls basically on top of the small tree and the two of them fall toward the house oh no basically so now worst case scenario it's a terrible case scenario in many (laughs) ways because now i have two trees that were you know more or less upright are now if 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 they could they would fall in the house however I learned years ago that you cut away furthest from the house toward it because the the trees closest to the house act, act as a barrier. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. The two trees fell and then got stuck in the trees that are closest to the house. Oh, wow. And so there I'm standing at this thing going like, oh, Lord, what do I do now? <laughs> I feel like this could have been a really good YouTube video. Part of me, yeah, there's still, there's one really interesting situation out there that I think I might film because I have a creative idea that could go terribly wrong. But uh, anyway, so now I'm like, great, I got a tree that's cut down that really wants to fall in my house, but can't because it's tied up in these branches way the heck up there. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I'm too tired. It's too late in the day because this was like a Wednesday night or something. I'm just going to sleep on this one <laughs> wow. and think about it because it doesn't look like this tree is going to go anywhere unless there's a massive windstorm that maybe it would get loose and fall down and so friday night i'm like go back out there and it's one of these things that literally is hanging over your head <laughs> like it's kind of hard to relax knowing that at any minute there could be a giant crashing sound <laughs> and wow. a tree could come through your living room ceiling <laughs> so friday night i'm like all right we're going to, I'm not, I'm not calling anybody. My pride doesn't allow me to do that. Plus I don't want to wait for the person to come out. <laughs> We're just going to wait three days anyway. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to think about this. So Friday I'm like, well, let's just see what happens when I basically just keep cutting the bottom off of this tree. So I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> I'm cutting. I'm I, shaking I, my I, head. I cut, you know, like maybe a <laughs> foot and a half through it and then it just sort of plops down about a foot and you're like "Uh, everything Uh okay everything's okay so basically i start slowly eating this tree up from the bottom (laughs) like a kid eating a piece of broccoli from the bottom toward the (laughs) branch and to make sure it doesn't fall toward the house because it's it's propped up against a tree i take the come along and i strap it pretty close to the bottom so every time it drops it wants to rotate it away from the house around this tree. Okay. Um, so, because otherwise, as it drops, it might sort of want to work its way toward toward the house because it's it's kind of twisted around a tree a little bit. And so I keep doing this for a while, and, and I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I don't know where to stand that isn't dangerous in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> because the tree is basically, it wants to fall down, but it also wants to rotate because of the pull of uh-huh. the come along. Um, 
And I was like, so I'm like, I'm like, I can't, I if I stand to the left of the tree, when I cut it loose, the come along will pull it toward me. If I stand toward the right of the tree, then when I cut it, you know, it kind of wants to pop up. It's like, I don't know where the heck, there's no safe place to be as I cut this thing down. And so I just took it like one chunk at a time. At one point, I would cut around out, but because there was so much downward pressure, it wouldn't move. So I would stand back about five feet and I would throw another round against it. Trying, oh. Sort of like a kid trying to knock a block out of the bottom <laughs> oh of a stack gosh. of blocks. I was like, because I don't want to kick it because I don't know what's going to happen. Right. So I basically am out there like a caveman. <laughs> going, ooh. <laughs> like throwing a chunk of wood at the bottom of this tree, trying to knock it off the piece I've cut off, but it's sort of stacked on like a stack of... Huh. And I was like, if my mother knew what I was doing right now, she would be furious. She would not approve. If she knew what her beautiful little boy was doing. <laughs> now, full disclosure, I mean, I had... I didn't have steel-toed boots on because I don't think I actually own a pair. But I had some heavy-duty boots on, leather boots. I had chainsaw chaps i had gloves i had protective glasses and i had the helmet on whoa i was that was the one i was gonna be like but did you have a helmet i wasn't wearing a helmet at first and then and then i realized like yeah if this thing bucks back this chainsaw bucks back at me the only thing that's saving me is the um the chain break break yeah and i did buy a totally brand new chainsaw. Oh wow! Which I love, but was super expensive. What kind did you get? Um, I got a still, oh, like the industrial kind. It doesn't even have a primer bulb. What? I was like, what? Because primer bulbs are just hell. Because you never know if you're over priming or under priming. Mm-hmm. This thing is. I, I like want to sleep with it under my pillow at night. You got a Cadillac. I got the Cadillac chainsaws. Nice. With a reduced kickback chain on it, too. Mm. So I'm, in terms of my gear, I'm doing everything reasonable. How long was the bar? This one is a 20-inch. Oh, nice. So it's it's actually a little longer than I like. And you're kind of, you're a steel fan. No. You're not? No, I have no allegiance. But oh. I am a steel fan now. Is okay. it steel? Like I, the well, I metal? say steel. Or still, because it's S-T-I-H-L. I know, but I say steel. Because there's an H in there. But I, I could be wrong. I'm not correcting you. No, no you're fine. I'm just trying to cover all know. the bases. I don't have a brand. Uh, you know, you, with all the work I do on the DeLorean and stuff, you'd think I'd be a, have some allegiance to a brand, but I don't. Um, but I freaking love this steel hmm. chainsaw, and it's it's like my new best outdoor buddy <laughs> i just adore this thing i can't wait to like put stickers on it and stuff i can't wait to just go like walking through the woods and come across you walking with your chainsaw yeah taking my chainsaw for a walk yeah <laughs> anyway i eventually got this thing down and i was like yay and then i realized the tree that it had fallen down fallen on didn't exactly bend back up <gasps> so i'm like oh crap i still got the smaller tree it's totally bent over toward the house so I've, I've taken a a bad situation and made it worse so i'm like all right well <laughs> and i strap a come along to that thing and i bend the hell out of it so it's 
I managed to bend this thing from probably 30 degrees pointing toward the house to about 25 degrees pointing away from the house. Oh my goodness. And the whole time I'm thinking, if this come along snaps, like, anyway, that's life in Alaska in the fall. I managed to, I cranked this thing way the heck over and then cut it and then stand back and it falls. You have all your fingers and toes. The only thing I did was I skinned my shin a little bit when I like tripped on a stump. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I did all that dangerous stuff. And all I did was like give, myself, give myself a little bump on my shin. That's good. Anyhow. So that's uh, that was my week. Okay. That's exciting. And I got probably six more trees left. And so what I want to film is there's one giant tree that huge tree by far like probably twice as big as any of the other ones big old thick tree wow but it's totally leaning away from the house thank goodness so it wants to go where i want it to go but around it are probably three or four trees that aren't leaning that way so here's my great plan i'm gonna cut you know little slivers out of the bottom of all of the trees strap them all together so that when the big tree falls down, it pulls the other trees with it at the same time. Wow. The problem is that where do I stand? Because <laughs> as I'm cutting down the big tree, there's going to be like three other trees falling all around it. So I have to figure out where I can be where they won't just fall right on top of me. No, no. But it would be like, it'd be like getting three trees down for one. Yeah, it seems un- inadvisable though. It does, but... I- one thing I could think of was if the straps, if the lines broke as the tree falls down, it pulls them, but doesn't bring them over. It breaks and sends them swinging back into the house. Please record what happened. <laughs> I was like, she's not going to say, please be safe. She's no. going to say, please record this. <laughs> you already know that it's dangerous. Oh, yeah. I may not actually do it, but it's just too, it solves so many problems. Wow. In one, one event. Is this interesting, or should we cut this? I think, <laughs> I think you should keep it, but we need to move on. I agree. I think we <laughs> needed to move on about eight minutes ago. <laughs> well, today's subject, I am super excited to say, is float tanks. You woke up. You said you woke up this morning and remembered the topic, and you said yay. And I was super excited because I couldn't remember what we had what I had decided last week. And float tanks is something I can talk about. I'm passionate about. Otherwise known as sensory deprivation tanks. And also known as... What else? There's more. Yeah. Let's see. Isolation tanks. Mm -hmm. So those are the three I've heard. Isolation tank, sensory deprivation tank, and float tanks. There's one more. Oh, really? That ends with the... Oh, it's like a quiz? No, it's a restricted environment sensory therapy tank. A rest Rest. tank. Very good. Mm -hmm. Somebody else went to Wikipedia. I did not, actually. Really? I actually researched this because I don't own my own float tank. Like some people named Rob. That's where my credibility comes in on this particular (laughs) one. I own a float tank. So that is why I feel like I can speak knowledgeably on the subject matter. (laughs) So, first of all, let's talk about what one is. I feel like 
I don't know what percentage of the population knows they exist. They've existed for a while. They've existed for like 60 years. A long time. And they got a lot more press in the, I'd say, in the late, uh, later six, um, 20th century. Okay. I think they got, I don't know, they might have come back a, a little bit maybe 10 years ago. That's when I first heard about it. But so first of all, let's let's talk about what this thing is, how it works, and why people might want to do it. You want to speak to any of that? Oh, <laughs> sure. I wasn't planning on doing this since I oh. don't own one. Okay. But so what do you want to talk about? I was. I'm here for comic relief at the at the moment because <laughs> my credibility is low. Because <laughs> you've never done one. I've never done one. My I'm familiar with them through popular culture references, right? And just like listening to people talk about them, All and right. then also having to endure you talking about your own <laughs> isolation chamber. <laughs> All right. Well, then I'll talk about it, and you can ask questions and yeah. or chime in when when something strikes you. Okay. So the sensory we'll call it a float tank for now because that's where you tend what you see tend to hear them referred to as among businesses so if you were to look up like if there's one in your neighborhood i google float tank you will look up float tank, and yeah. we actually have people what? in tank two places that what I, yep i wonder if that's new i feel I'm like i looked sure it up are you sure it's in fairbanks yeah wow because I've looked a couple years ago. I didn't see anything. Coming to a small and remote town near you. Wow. Float tanks. Well, that defeats the purpose of me having bought one, I suppose. But anyway. Well, I mean, you don't have all the weirdness of strangers being in your float tank soup. That's true. They don't replace the water. Because <laughs> it would be really expensive to do but that. But they do clean it. Yes. They do clean it. That's true. And anyhow, so what we're looking at here is a, they come in sort of different shapes and sizes. But if you go to a business, what you're going to find is it's kind of, it's, they'll have kind of generally like a clamshell type opening to it, or some of them, it is literally just a tank with a door. And it's about maybe eight feet long and maybe five feet wide or something like that because the idea and then it's got 10 inches of super salty water that is heated to about 94 degrees or approximately your skin temperature and then it's enclosed because you want the air to be about that temperature too Mm -hmm. so what you're trying to achieve in a float tank is you're you're in this tank it's not it's big enough that you can float without touching any of the walls but then small enough to be, you know, practical and dark. And the idea is you effortlessly float in this super salty water and you begin to lose a sense of where your body ends and the water begins. And so that's the sensory deprivation part. And the goal is that you stop receiving any cues from your body that you have a body anymore and you basically forget that you have a body so the sensory deprivation sounds bad it sounds like like you're generally when we think of deprivation we think of like that's a bad thing right but this is completely intentional and it's to create basically a really powerful meditative state 
because you're turning off all of your sensory input. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to taste, of course. There's nothing that you're going to see because it's totally dark. Right. You're trying to close off all photons. Yep. There's nothing to smell, conceivably. Not really, no. There isn't anything. I mentioned touch, touch, taste, smell here. So there's nothing to hear. You got earplugs in because if the salt, the super salty water gets in your ears, it does some nasty stuff from what I understand. And this isn't regular. It's not iodized salt. This is magnesium salt. This is Epsom salt. Yeah. And the reason for that is it, like any salty water is going to sting if you have any cuts or dry skin or anything like that. But Epsom salt stings less for a shorter amount of time i've heard people say that you should put like uh petroleum jelly on cuts they recommend not shaving the day absolutely the day of mm-hmm. <laughs> float tank experience you will find every little cut <laughs> you have but after about 10 to 15 seconds it will stop hurting okay but it will hurt and my my problem every time i get in mine is i don't know i guess i have dry scalp or something every time i get in my head hurts pretty bad for about 15 seconds i think it just stings hard to do this in fairbanks in the winter just because skin cracks so easy Mm -hmm. and that's the time i would want to do it too because you really just want to get warm from the inside out it is awesome for that and it's it's unpleasant but it's fairly short term so you just got to be tough and push through it. <laughs> but uh, the problem I have is I when I get in, my head stings. And then when I get out to take a shower afterward, it stings all over again when I try and wash it out of my hair. So that, that bit is unpleasant. That's There's probably a, good for you, though. Yeah? I mean, for your skin. To be salty? Yeah, you have magnesium salt. Your skin's a big organ that sucks in the environment. So you probably are absorbing some magnesium, too. I don't know. It's a good thing. I haven't seen any research that says that floating in a tank does your skin any any favors, but I don't think it really hurts anything. No. So, uh, yeah, and you're in about 10 inches of water because that's deep enough that you're not going to risk touching the bottom. So but... you're not having to battle any of the effects of gravity either. So your spine gets a break, mm-hmm. everything. So when you when you climb in there, it takes a while at first, but if after you do it for a while, you begin to realize where you keep tension, even when you think you're relaxed, and you can kind of go to those spots. For me, it's my lower back and legs, hmm. and so I get in there, and I'm like, oh, like, just kind of move my, my hips a little bit. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, get rid of that tension, and then, oh, I, you know, I'm feeling this tension in my legs. Let that go, and... That can, that's what helps with the process of just existing effortlessly. There's no muscle effort required for anything except breathing and. But that whatever. seems as if it would be challenging because you're reminding your physical self to relax and let go, which mm-hmm. is that's a challenge. Yeah. But then you also need to deal with your mental self and getting mm-hmm. your mental self to quiet. That's way harder. Yeah. And it's almost impossible for me. Okay. So, and that's where I think developing skills in meditation is really important. Mm-hmm. So, 
that's the basics of how it works. What you're trying to achieve is, it's basically it's, it's the closest I'm aware of of experiencing zero gravity. So uh, that that begs a question. At least I have a question. Absolutely. What inspired you to get a float tank? Like, what was the attraction? I had first heard about them through a Vice documentary quite a long time ago. I don't. I think I looked it up, and we'll, we can put it on our our feed too. I think it was about eight years ago. Okay. That it was posted, and it was all about float tanks and what a bizarre experience they are. And I was really captivated by this wondering what this is, because there's no other way you can experience this. You know, if I want to know what's it roughly, what is it like to land an F-14 on an aircraft carrier? Like I can get a simulator and I've done that, you know, it's not the same, but I can get a taste of it. Float tank. There's just nothing you, you can't, you know, I don't lie in a bunch of hot blankets or something like that. Like, it felt like it, it, yeah, it's just like <laughs> I was so intrigued by this and I really desperately wanted to try it. And I just thought, I, man, I just felt like I was going to love it before I even had a chance to. So unfortunately, I couldn't find anywhere up here that did it. And so when I went to um, New Mexico a few years ago, it was on my list. I was like, I'm going back to civilization. I want to find a place to try and float. When you say civilization, you mean a place that isn't Fairbanks. Right. I mean a place that has stores. Stores. (laughs) And a lot of a lot of weird, more eccentric stuff. Yeah. We have the basics here. And there's there's nothing you need that you can't get in Fairbanks, pretty much (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. But if you want to do odd things like, you know, have a robot deliver you lunch Or or wear a bathing suit. Or wear a bathing suit in July, you have to go somewhere else. <laughs> you do. <laughs> and so that's that was my main thing. I was like, I can't do this in Fairbanks, but I'm I managed. So I found a place actually in uh, what is it, Los Alamos, the place where they do the did the um, atom bomb. Oh wow! Atomic bomb testing. Ironically, had a float tank place. <clears throat> Interesting. And I was 100 percent on board, and so. I went and what I remember most from that experience was how incredibly relaxed I felt afterward because I was driving back to Santa Fe and I remember on the highway thinking, don't anybody cut me off or upset me because I don't want to lose this vibe I have right now. (laughs) I have a super chill vibe. And it wasn't long after that that I started looking into making my own float tank because I wanted to keep doing this. Cool. And that's when I came across this website called Zenfloat, which sells, and it's one of the only places I'm, at least it, this is for a couple of years ago, One of, the only place I was aware of that that sold home use float tanks for anything less than like $18,000. The other people are selling the clamshell kind. Oh, yeah. Zenfloat sells basically a tent. So, you know, it comes to you and, three or four kind of heavy boxes and you just assemble all the tubing and, and everything and you make it yourself. And they advertise it for $2,200. But if you wait till after Thanksgiving, it drops down a lot. I ended up getting it for like seventeen fifty, So not cheap. And that's like, fi- includes $500 worth of shipping. Ooh. Um, so 
pretty bad shipping, but not insane. I mean, people have hot tubs, you know, that costs a lot more than that. Right. So that's how I got into it. I, I was totally enchanted by the idea, thanks to the Vice documentary. Tried it out and confirmed that was pretty cool. And it, then I was like, I'm doing, I got to do this myself. That sounds like the most nerdy reason to try a flow tank. Like you just wanted the, the zero gravity kind of feel at first. I, I wanted the, the, yeah, I guess zero gravity, but also just the mental experience. So I've heard that too. People say that they, it's, it's sort of a self-care kind of thing mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. So you could be doing it to relieve stress. You could be doing it for some deeper therapy. Yep. Um, what I think, or actually for some healing too, like there's some emotional unlocking that happens too, from what I understand. But there's also physical recovery aspects that happen in a float tank. So uh, athletes also use these. Mm -hmm. So they're there just to aid in the healing and recovery um, for whatever they happen to be doing. There's a bunch of different kinds of athletes that participate in this. And it was weird when I was doing research the float tank topic usually gets coupled with cryotherapy, which I find fascinating. Hmm. So there's a lot of... Um, What's cryotherapy? It involves cold. That's what I thought, but yeah. how could that be helpful? Well, it's very helpful, but in the context of putting the two together, I think it's dissonant. Uh, Unless yeah. like pairing those two strategies together, I think is odd to me. Hmm. Um, but we can maybe talking about cryotherapy therapy is another topic we can talk about. Because that, I think, is really fascinating. And hmm. I'd like to talk about it. And maybe we talk about it next now that we brought it up. You get to choose the next one. Sweet. <laughs> well, I, I would say the reasons that you might want to do it it's got a number of benefits and you might be going for the collective benefits of, of all of them. It might be just one specific thing that you're in there for. When I come out, I come out feeling very relaxed, quite content. The, the heat is great for, you know, just general body type stuff as well. And then there's sort of a sense of well being that is just associated with, meditation i think we're learning I, i've been i've been impressed by just the benefits of sitting and being quiet for 10 minutes a day yeah. and this is sort of the formula one version of meditation well i think there are people too that are now experimenting with microdosing and float tanks mm -hmm. so there's a, a psychoactive element to in not in a severe way like they're not just tripping mm -hmm. to trip they're they're stacking strategies to mm -hmm. have these more cerebral experiences for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing that I do it for is because I, I feel like it's my creativity superpower. Hmm. It's basically like doping for creativity. Now, certainly there are drugs you could take for that too but you're above that but i'm not i'm not above that i'm just not <laughs> into that at this point and so i feel like this is my way of cheating a little bit when it comes to creativity over other people who might also be trying to do creative endeavors but don't have the benefit of going into a, a flow tank because 
This is like taking a hour-long shower or something or being in that pre-sleep state for an hour. And you can oh. control it when it happens. And p- people also can do this with walking. I have similar creative inspiration just by walking. Mm-hmm. So I don't I think there are plenty of ways to do it, but being aware that if you want to solve a problem or come up with some creative idea, you it's more effective to intentionally put yourself in a situation where that's going to happen. And so that's why I take walks once in a while and it's why I, I float. Okay. The other thing I get out of it is um I've had people tell me that my experiences sound a lot like the experiences people have on drugs, which I think is kind of cool that you can achieve it without actually taking a drug, right. which I'm not being judgmental about. I just, again, it's not really if if it's part not of my lifestyle thing. right now. Right. Um, so some of the, one of the things that, that I experienced was I realized that if I kind of focus my mind in my thinking in like some sort of weird upper part of my brain that I, I just felt joy. It was just like, I could find this joy button in my brain. Hmm. <laughs> and so what I, it's almost like kind of rolling your eyes back and I'd get to the spot where I'd kind of focus my consciousness as if like I was pressing against, do you have any idea what I'm talking about? You're describing the experience of opening your third eye. Exactly. Yeah. Which I had no idea about until I think you were might have been somebody else mentioned it to me. They're like, "Oh yeah, that's your third eye." I was yeah. like, "That's what that is." <laughs> yeah. I found it completely that's unintentionally, cool. just want you know, just playing around in the float tank. I was like, "Wow, I feel extremely contented. I feel joy when I take my brain to this part." And then you're like, "Yeah, that's your third eye." It's like, yep. "Dang it." What do you mean? That's a good thing. I don't want anyone to have a name for it. I'm going to be my own special thing. (laughs) So I'll do that sometimes. I'll also just try and give myself my own little trippy things. Like if I'm aware that if you focus on contentment, that that's a key to being happier. And so there'll be things I'll try and meditate on. Like, and so I've had trippy experiences where I'll imagine a word that I want to focus on, like joy. And then I'll just imagine the the giant letters are like sort of soft. And I'll just like wrap my arms around each letter and kind of run my hands over it. And so you end up having really bizarre stuff. Or I've managed, I've imagined myself super small <laughs> um, and just like a really tiny person kind of wandering around doing things it seems important to begin an experience like this with intention because the reason i say that is because what you're what you're doing is you're opening you're allowing space for your mind to have these experiences Mm -hmm. but i think that you also because you're relaxing your body and releasing physical tension and mm-hmm. eliminating the distraction that you normally have and your headspace, it also leaves you open to start dealing with things that you may not be dealing with day to day. So you may have you know, some emotional tension that also comes out. Mm-hmm. And I think recognizing the possibility that that 
possibility that that also surfaces um, as a real outcome. Like you can use float tanks as therapy for mm-hmm. these these situations, but you don't want to wander into an experience where it kind of catches you off guard. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to call it a bad trip, but I think mm-hmm. that coming in with the attention of wanting to experience joy and actively seeking that, I think is really um, a good strategy. Mm-hmm. That's a good point because I, I'm coming at it from a position where I don't have any particular life trauma that I haven't dealt with pretty well. I certainly have life trauma that I could, you know, get myself depressed with pretty quickly if I wanted to. But a lot of it I've I've addressed and gotten control of. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you have unresolved issues, that could be dangerous. As you're talking, it kind of remind me of how the inventor of the float tank, John C. Lilly, talks about when you go in there, you're passing through a doorway to sort of another experience. And he really addresses how dangerous that, that can be. Hmm, interesting. And some of the, the movies about it, like Altered States. That movie. So I hadn't watched it in the 80s. Uh-huh. That was before yeah, I was allowed to watch movies like that. <laughs> so I watched it as an adult. And it is extremely disturbing. It is super weird. Yeah. And so... And in an 80s effects kind of way. Right. But basically a guy like regresses himself through float tanking forever to the point where he makes himself... He sort of devolves back into a sort of monkey-like thing. Kind of... I think the gist of it is that the entire historical span of humanity, like the develop the development of humanity exists within each person and he's mm. figured out a way to not only access that ancestral memory mm-hmm. but to physically inhabit the ancestral memory memory and bring it into contemporary time. Right. So it's really a trippy concept that I can't still quite wrap my head around, but they're they're running with that in the story. Oh yeah. And then it eventually creates like that bizarro whirlpool thing and like the sucks bizarre... up the whole Yes. <laughs> the and then lab. it just ends okay, so it's a terrible movie. It just ends. It's really just this wacky love story. It's pretty unresolved, very strange. But if you're into float tanks, it's kind of fun <laughs> to watch. It's William Hurt. It's from nineteen eighty. Yeah, and it is one of the old timey float tanks, like the big steel or iron tanks that are riveted together. Yes, it's a it's a university experiment done, I think, kind of cl- clandestinely. Yeah. Right, they're not supposed to be doing that. And actually, I was reminded that Drew Barrymore is in it too, but she must be like his daughter or some little kid. Right, she is a tiny young one. Yeah, I think she's like five. Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty weird horror drama thing. Right. Stranger Things, mm-hmm. uh, I think, is the most recent and most significant reference to float tanks that was a pretty big deal yeah where if you're not familiar with the show basically this girl has superpowers as a result of experiments done on her right and at one point needs to get back into this other world which she can only do in a float tank type situation. So they're recognizing float tanks as a way to do this trans-dimensional communication, mm-hmm. essentially. 
So it is basically like a, a portal for her. Right. And so they create it by getting a giant pool and filling it with water and dumping a bunch of salt in it in a gymnasium, you know, after hours. And the the amount of salt required for a float tank is immense. It's like Insane. a thousand pounds almost. My float tank, which is what, maybe four feet by seven feet, somewhere in that ballpark, with 10 inches of water, took 800 pounds of Epsom salt. My goodness. Which I have pictures of before and after loading it into my car. And it's like poor Subaru is just like, oh my gosh. I can't believe your Subaru hauled 800 pounds of salt. Yeah, I just, it, it all came in, you know, like whatever, eight pound bag. So I tried to distribute it as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, I wasn't like I threw it all in the trunk, but you could tell. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they're having a little uh, poetic license, but it, but the general principle is right. It's just, you know, to do it right, the water temperature and the skin temperature and the air temperature all need to be about 94, which is really hard to replicate that quickly in a pool. But, you know, whatever. Maybe she just needed to float. Yeah. Uh, apparently, it's referenced in the movie, or the TV show Fringe, which I have never seen. I had never watched Fringe. But it's on Prime, I guess. We'll Amazon Prime. It. I want to check that out. Um, so do you have any other questions about my personal experience I'm, with it? If I do, I'm sure it'll, my memory will be jogged. I've also listened to, I think it was, there's a podcast, a fictional podcast called Tannis that mm. starts out with some float tank experiences, mm -hmm. um, which I think was sort of written around the time of Stranger Things too, but it was an interesting podcast. It was a little bit, um... A little creepy mysterious mm -hmm. also with that kind of flavor of these technologies that can access other dimensions it mm -hmm. was that sort of thing yeah it is weird when you think about this is something that humans never really got to experience before so how are they going to react so I don't, I mean, I'll disagree with that a little bit. I think there are environments in the planet that do lend themselves to similar experiences, not um, one-to-one one experiences, but I've been in caves before mm -hmm. where I've been, I've been able to knock down the majority of my senses, mm -hmm. not touch. That's true. Yeah. But there's definitely no light. There's no environmental sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're cold. They tend to be cold. But I could imagine finding a cave with water and around the equator that might be a little bit warm. Yeah. And honestly, in that pre-sleep state, if you're in a nice warm bed, yeah, you're pretty close. If you're at a really talented at uh, meditation, and I can imagine in earlier times where people would just, you know, take this extremely seriously that they've experienced. Humans have experienced the idea of losing contact with their bodies. Mm -hmm. It's just something about the fact that you can do this sort of on command that I think. But yeah, you're right. It's not that unusual. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the history of them so that we can like hopefully... Talk about the future? Hopefully people care. Yeah, I guess... We could... <laughs> what is the future of float tanks? I, I have an idea. Oh, good. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, anyway... Uh, John C. Lilly is the man that we can credit for the idea of the float tank. And he was alive from 1915 to 2001. And that dude pretty 
safely you could say is uh eccentric um he's an he's an interesting guy he's involved in a lot of weird mm-hmm. stuff so he he's the one who if he sounds familiar he was involved with the with that pretty unconventional dolphin research trying to teach dolphins to talk in the 60s that went really weird because he was giving dolphins LSD and his female researcher from what I've heard um, was basically having an inappropriate relationship with a male dolphin um, because yeah we can just leave it there and you can look up more well, okay. That's not the part of the research that I had encountered. But also, she had spent an a lot of time with those dolphins with the intention that she was going to learn how they communicate and ultimately be able to communicate with them as well. Yeah, I was under the impression she was trying to teach them to talk. Okay. And it wasn't until later that they were like, maybe we should just learn their language rather than them <laughs> learning ours. But yeah, she was like sleeping in the same area in the when the area with the with the male dolphin and spending boatloads of time with it, building a relationship with it, and um, yeah, they had some stuff that that they were involved in that didn't play well in the press. Yeah, related to that. Um, but uh, he, he was also involved in SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And he pioneered this research with float tanks, spending hours and hours in them sometimes. I believe the first tanks that he was using were tanks where you you um, had like a respirator and you were floating full body, like not like we do now horizontally in salt water, but just floating inside a large tank mm-hmm. like that and people were doing that for hours and hours and hours and which is pretty crazy because i i start to get kind of fidgety after about 50 minutes for some reason i found is my my limit um i've read (laughs) about half of one of his a book at least about him as a collection of some of his lectures and stuff and it is really weird really hard to follow Occasionally, you stumble upon a little nugget of like, wow, that's a really interesting way to think about that. But a lot of times, it's just very strange and a little, yeah, a little hard to comprehend. Huh. But that's John C. Lilly. And so float tanks were pretty big in the public consciousness in like the 60s. And, mm-hmm. and then I think kind of fell out of... Uh, out of the popular eye for a while. It's weird. They did come back after in the new millennium. Mm-hmm. Yep. They definitely keep pop back into well popular culture, and then as soon as somebody picked it up, like they got popular because of Stranger Things and mm-hmm. particular podcasts also brought them back into everybody's mm-hmm. attention. Yeah. And I can see as people get more stressed and. Um, you get more notifications and you never seem to have quiet moments anymore that this would start to appeal to people because 
you know, we were talking about pick, I pick up my daughter from school. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, 20 years ago, I guess I might have listened to the radio or read a book or something like that. But now I just sit and like, I can fool around on my phone. I can watch videos and listen to music. And well, I guess it wasn't that much different. But I feel like in today's connected society, there's a new interest in disconnecting yeah. at a... In a, in a big way. <laughs> like being able to be comfortable in your own mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So if you're interested in trying it out, you can look up float tanks around you. And when I did it, it was about a hundred bucks for an hour and they would have, you know, deals if you wanted to come back regularly and whatnot. Hmm. That place went out of business. I don't think it was doing great when I was there. Oh no. <laughs> so that made me wonder about, how this particular um, industry is doing right now. But uh, I think COVID certainly didn't do it any favors either since, you know, marinating in a salt bath that someone else. Seems like a pretty inhospitable environment. It is very inhospitable to life, but there's still that kind of mental thing of like, "Hmm." yeah, I have a question for you. Yeah. If you had to choose an hour-long float or an hour-long massage, which would you choose? Mm. Dude, that's tough. That's sort of like saying if I had to choose between, I don't know. A donut and ice cream? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it kind of depends on the situation. I, They both have their pros and cons or not necessarily pros, but they're different benefits. An hour-long massage would be fantastic for relaxing, but less useful for the meditative side. Yeah, one is definitely Mm ultra-sensitive or ultra-sensory, and the other one is very uh, the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's where we get into float tanks having multiple different purposes. And there could be different reasons you go. If you just want to relax, if you've got muscle tension that you want to get rid of, yeah, you probably should just go to a, get a massage. (laughs) You know, it's probably going to be a lot more effective because nothing's getting stretched in here. It's just getting warm and it's not doing, you're not doing any effort. What's funny to me is after 50 minutes in there, how hard it is for me to get back up. Oh, really? Just an hour of my muscles doing nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, am I trapped in here? I can barely like bend bend myself. That explains a lot. Because when I went to Google float tanks, like when I scrolled down a little bit, the uh, associated searches that it was suggesting was how to get out of a float tank. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like you need people to pick you up. Like your muscles just don't work anymore. Wow. So that is weird. But it's it's not the reason float float tanks don't exist to help your sore muscles. So while it's a perk, that's not why they're ninety four degrees. That's not why you effortlessly float. They exist for mental purposes. And as a bonus side effect, you do come out feeling pretty relaxed. I think they also do stimulate um health for like your nervous system just because it gives your body the opportunity to relax and recalibrate yeah yeah i could see that and you know um what else i i like to listen to music in there because i find that i can't stop my brain 
And so sometimes having music playing helps to slow me down. What do you listen to? Usually I listen to like meditation music. Okay. So just weird slow music like that. And so, but I know in, in a perfect world, you don't have anything. But I, I just feel like I am constantly racing throughout the day. Like I got, how can I get as much done as possible? Even though I'm not a very productive person, I still, I got that habit in my mind mm-hmm. of there's like a hamster and a wheel up there. It's just like, come <laughs> on, come on, come on, come on. You gotta, you gotta do this and do this. You gotta multitask. You gotta, come on. You got so much to do. And so when I get into the tank, I just can't shut that off. And so sometimes listening to the music helps. Mm-hmm. You also have want, because this, this water is not, you know, being changed every time uh, the tank is used. You want to thoroughly shower beforehand. And then, of course, you want to shower all the salt off afterward. Sure. But so before I get in, I, I shower, and that's part of the process of, like, preparing to try and slow myself down and get in a good mindset for the float tank. And the other thing that's interesting is I associate that float tank with with joy now to me it's like a special place a special shangri-la which doesn't mean that i particularly enjoy the maintenance on it and all that (laughs) um but i i have very warm (laughs) no pun intended feelings about it the problem for me is i just like i don't use it a lot because at the end of the day when when i normally would use it i'm like huh I'd rather just sit and watch TV. My couch is comfortable. If I'm going to do that, it's going to take up like an hour and a half. And that's basically like I've used up my my personal time for the day or whatever. And I don't like that. I got in this habit, I think as a kid, as a result of school making me read and making me do all these things, that the most possible fun you could ever be having is watching a movie or watching TV. Hmm. Do you think that spending time in the float tank and giving yourself that mental space might, uh, if you make it a practice, help optimize the time that you're not in it? Not it's to get more stuff done. Sorry, yeah. But. The, but to be more productive or yeah. something? Just yeah. Just when you're there in the moment needing to do something, like your brain will be you know, creative when you need it to be creative or mm-hmm. have an idea when you need an idea or motivated when you need to be motivated. I think it would be good for my mental health. I think it would be good for my creative health. I think it would make me feel better about myself. And so one of the things I'm toying with that would be interesting to do for this podcast, or at least talk about for this podcast, is just stop watching TV. Cut it out. Yeah. Stop watching YouTube every morning. That's where I tend to get my news and, and ease into the day. Stop assuming that the only way I can have fun is to watch TV at night or watch a movie. I'd be very interested to see how my productivity changes and how my attitude about life changes. This is the space that I'm in. Yeah. I usually don't watch a movie. Occasionally I do mm-hmm. if I'm meeting up with other people, but I normally am not watching TV. I'm usually, and that I think by, it has pros and cons. Cause by sitting down and watching a movie, you're telling yourself, like, I'm only doing this thing conceivably. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to sit and have some still time, even though it's like somebody's telling you a story. 
that's not a bad thing necessarily. No. Whereas instead of me sitting down to watch a movie, I'm usually still producing something. So there's a level of production that I probably should turn off at some point and actually just be doing nothing. Because mm-hmm. boredom is great. Boredom is great. And it's not just great. It feels like it's our superpower. Yeah. It's every once in a while, I'll watch a movie or, you know, see something creative and be like, how did they ever think about that? Think of that, you know? And then I realize when I'm bored, more, you know, quote unquote, going for a walk, floating in the float tank, taking a shower, about to fall asleep. Amazing things will just come to mind when your brain just isn't processing anything. But that's, yes, 100%. But that's Uh actually not being bored. I mean, like, bored is like, you're just, like, let yourself get bored. I'm using bored as kind of a catch-all for not being entertained. Not, you're using it as unproductive time. No, when I say bored, I mean you are not, I mean you are not being entertained by some other outside entity. Okay, okay, because I'm, like, so maybe it just means different things to different people, because like when I'm taking a walk, uh, I don't consider that my boredom time, because mm-hmm. my brain is still looking around, yeah. and usually my dog's with so me. So and... what do you call that time then? That time to me is it's it's kind of like a wellness break essentially mm-hmm. to use contemporary language i mean it's it's to help my dog but it's also something that i enjoy because i like being in touch with the outdoors near where i live like i like mm-hmm. to know what's growing and i like to know what animals live nearby and what it smells like but it's not actual i'm not bored when i'm out there it's time that is rejuvenating and i get inspiration but I mean, time to be bored is, for instance, when you take a vacation and find that you've booked a hotel in a terrible spot Mm -hmm. and you've exhausted all of the local walkable things and you're just trying to figure out what to do next. And you're like, fine, we're just going to sit in the hotel till like the next morning when Mm -hmm. the next fun thing could possibly happen. And Mm -hmm. that evening you need to entertain yourself, but there are no options and Mm -hmm. you're just literally left with nothing to do mm-hmm. like to me that's potential time yeah. to be bored mm-hmm. i have very distinct memories of visiting yellowstone as a kid and being shocked when we got in the hotel room and there was no television because oh, wow. there was no tv to be had anyway because it's yellowstone and i was like what are we gonna do <laughs> it was like a little bit of a panic because the fun thing about hotels was always that they had cable I didn't have, never had cable growing up, so I ended up coloring and just feeling like this is lame. <laughs> but yeah, it's a different thing. It's boredom it, to me is a bad thing. When I'm bored, it's not a situation I want to be in. Yeah. But whatever this is, where your mind is not occupied by some sort of external force, where it's or entertainment is wonderful. I just don't know what the term for is that for is that for it is that was awesome getting all yoda (laughs) on here (laughs) well to kind of wrap up the float tank discussion i just want to let people know like if the the best way to do it is to go to a a float tank place and try it out that is the most practical they do clean them 
It yeah, involves, well, they treat them. It's they like, treat the water. It's like going to a pool. Yeah. Like, they don't drain the water every time your family arrives. No. But they, but they have chemical treatments to keep the acidity and pH correct. The salt on its own certainly has a lot of antibacterial traits to it. It's filtered, too, so there's no, no floaties. Oh, you you are we required to shower before, and you certainly want to shower after. And um, I didn't mean like poop. I just meant like little <laughs> bits of dirt or fuzz well, or something. Neither did I, but it was still gross. But now, <laughs> so yeah. So like the way my tank works is it's it's sitting on two heat pads. It has a basically a probe in it that turns the pads on and off to keep it at the right temperature, which you can set to whatever you want. It has a just regular filter that goes through. And then it also has a UV filter. So it's fil- it's filtering out, you know, physical things too, which a lot of time is like salt buildup. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously. A fly that drops in occasionally. Yeah, well, the door is closed. But yeah, you know, whatever. But then the UV, it's also ru- uh, running the water through a UV light nice. for a couple hours at least a day which is killing other living organisms like that. So it feels like wa- um float tanks are the the water beds for the new millennium. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. They take up a lot of space. They're stupid heavy. They're very heavy. It's not going anywhere. Right. It's basically taking over this whole small bedroom that I put it in. The salt itself is good for if you according to the Zen float, if you take really good care of it, meaning like you shower really well before every time you can get a couple of years out of it. Hmm. But then, so I, you know, I'm like, I bought all my salt online, which was desperation, but I didn't know where else to get it. Again, your postal carrier is amazing. Yeah. That was a, I felt really bad for her, but like I said, I made her a banana bread. She didn't actually deliver to my house. I had to go to the post office to get it. But she had to pick up every one of these boxes, all 800 pounds in their, like, you know, eight-pound bags or whatever, and write my house number on each one. Oh, jeez. I felt terrible for that, but she's a cool lady. Turns out you can get Epsom salt at Walmart. So what I've been doing is every time I get an order from Walmart or go to Walmart, I'll buy a couple bags in the hopes that by the time I need to empty it, I will have approximately 800 pounds. How much... Do you lose evaporation? Well, not salt, uh, but water. Yeah, it's not too bad because the tent is completely closed, but it's it's a certain amount. Every once in a while, I have to run a hose in there and top it back off. Gotcha. The other problem I have with this tank is it's it's you know what what it's basically like a tarp type material. I don't know what it's not canvas, but I don't know what what it is. A waterproof. Material. It's a heavy duty waterproof material, like a shower curtain with heavier than that okay um with a with a you know sturdy frame but it still stretches and and i feel like the material is stretching over time and making the water level seem lower so i i think if i was to do it again i would build a frame around it not only to help insulate it but to help keep the sides good and and vertical right now i've just been packing the excuse me the extra epsom salt around the sides hmm. as both insulation and to try and keep it up. And it's going to cost you a fair amount of electricity. I don't even want to know. <laughs> but it's it's like having a hot tub, you know? Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So, and also you don't want to put it on like a concrete floor because that will absorb all the heat and you will spend a boatload trying to keep it hot. Unless you have a radiant floor. Radiant floor would be great. Or if you could put it down on like some wood or some insulation. Yeah. But wherever you put it, it's going to be until you drain it. So it's impractical, I think, for most people. And it's not like I could put it in my bedroom, but then I would have this giant, salty, hot thing in my bedroom. I'm hoping (laughs) someone tunes in just for what I (laughs) say. So I was like, I don't, I like my bedroom kind of cool. I don't want to. So yeah, it's impractical for. Also, when you drain it, where is it going to go? You don't want to run it through your septic. You don't want to just dump it outside. But what else would you do? Dump it outside. My plan is to dump it outside where I don't want plants anyway. Far away from your foundation. Yes, I also don't want to flood my foundation. That's true. (laughs) So I'm going to be looking at draining it probably next summer because I'm planning on going on sabbatical, and I assume people would rather have if I have to rent out my house. I assume they'd rather have that room than. A float tank. Maybe. So, plus it's about time anyhow. So we'll see if I put it back up. But it's a, it's a special experience. So, <laughs> all right. Well, should we focus now on uh, things that impressed you? We're, we're getting a little bit further away from the things that blew us away. The things but that impressed me. Is there me. anything you want, to, want to comment on? There's one cool thing that I thought... Um, cause I looked, I was looking through research having to do with float tanks mm-hmm. and as I was just reading through titles, even I came across an article that was, um, had to do with virtual reality games and sens- sensory deprivation tanks. Ooh. Yeah. So people are now like, you know, you can play games and you can mm. play video games and you can watch VR or AR, mm-hmm. but now they have this idea for a multi-sensory game where, you are essentially dropped into a virtual experience devoid of all external sensory information. Mm -hmm. So that is an interesting prospect. I'm curious to see what comes out of that. Yes. I have thought about how cool it would be to take my VR headset in there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, you know. Watch YouTube. Basically destroy it. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a way where it wouldn't end up getting ruined, but... I was thinking more what do um watch going I have a couple of like nature treks is a is a VR experience where you basically are just in a place it's not a game or anything it's just a like you could be in the middle of the woods in the fall you can be in a field in the spring you can be underwater and they have one where you're in space like and you're looking at the sun and you know, there are planets going around it and you can move That's around. Cool. And I thought that in the float tank, because often when I'm in the float tank, I try and imagine myself floating through space. I thought that in the float plank, float tank would be trippy. So, yeah. Yeah, The uh, I saw a news story about a VR company where you like ride in a car while you've got a VR headset on and the VR headset detects the movement of the car and so you basically it's like a taxi ride combined with a game hmm wow so anyway that's a little another little vr development that's interesting well i this isn't this is something okay kind of blew me away but um not in the sense of like 
I don't know, that other things have blown me away. But I have been amazed by how popular some party tricks have been that I learned on YouTube that apparently no one else has seen. Right. And so I just... I. <laughs> I demonstrated one at a party on Saturday, and it was easily the most awesome first impression I think I've ever had in my life. Really? So what I did Saturday, I was at a a party with some friends, and I knew, you know, there's maybe 20 people there, and I I knew a couple of them, kind of, you know. So there are people I was, you know, acquainted with, but no, not a lot of people that were my personal friends. And so, for whatever reason, one of the people that uh, there um, and I got talking about how you can open a bottle of wine with a shoe. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about this? I have not. I've seen people open bottles of wine with swords. Wow. Yeah. I haven't tried that. Anyway, we. I, I was just offhandedly mentioning this person. Did you know you can open, open a bottle of wine with a shoe? And she was like, what? Like, no, show me. And I was like, well, I've never actually done it, but I've seen it done. <laughs> and so what you do is you take off a shoe. And fortunately, I had a good hiking boot, which is a very appropriate for this. You put the wine bottle in the shoe, bottom first. So basically, it's like wearing a shoe. And then you whack it as hard as you can against generally a vertical surface, I believe, is is the best. Because what you're trying to do is get the wine to force a lot of pressure on that cork. Right. And so you need to really hit it hard, which is what you need the shoe for, is that you can whack it really hard without breaking it. And... First couple times shots, I was like, I don't know. This, people are like, how long is it going to take? I was like, I don't know. But probably the fifth or sixth, you start to see the cork move. Hey. And I got that cork out in not that much longer than what it would take with a corkscrew. Uh-huh. And it was, people were pretty amazed. That's impressive. It, it was like a party stopper moment. <laughs> And for a guy who drinks less than your average two-year-old, you know, I just thought it was, like, pretty pretty funny to know this one trick as if, like, I opened a lot of wine bottles. Right. <laughs> and, and the reason I bring it up is that was such a huge hit and simple to do and had a big impact. But before that, I had demonstrated at another party how you can get a cork out of a bottle, um, which why you want to do that is kind of like who cares. Why but, not just push it in? Well, it had it had fallen in. I think something had gotten wrong with this particular cork. And the woman, uh, one of the women at the party was trying to get it out. I don't really know why. She wanted to recycle it or just irritated her that it was in there. I don't know. Oh, weird. But I was like, I can show you how to get that out. And she's like, okay. And I was like, well, I've never actually done it, but this is what I've heard. (laughs) So you take a grocery bag, one that doesn't have any holes in the bottom, like some of them do. And you, you, um, you know, twist it up and stick it, stick the bottom in there, leaving the top open. And then you kind of tip it up so that the cork is near the neck of the bottle. Um, and then you blow into the shopping bag and that inflates it like a balloon and then you pull on the shopping bag, and the shopping bag basically wraps around the cork, 
and you can get enough purchase on it that you you can you can actually pull the cork out and it's pretty amazing and people were really impressed i still need to know why you need the cork yeah you want to recycle the bottle and you don't want the cork in there or just irritates you that the cork in or just because it's cool to see it's like a magic trick like i can make a quarter go into a bottle and come back out why serves no real purpose but it seems to defy physics right and that's kind of what this is it's like it's it's not so much that there's a point to it it's that it's fascinating to to see how easy it is to do something that otherwise seems impossible okay okay but i know you only like practical tricks so well no i, just I gave you one if you forget a corkscrew somewhere and you got a wine bottle, all you need to do is take your shoe off and whack it a bunch of times, and it will come out. I would just push the cork in the bottle. With what? Any stick that's laying around. That's just not as elegant. When you got cork floating around in there. It's, it's, it's equally... With a me, stick. Equally as elegant You're as like putting the wine in a shoe. cave woman sticking a stick into a wine bottle while I'm elegantly whacking it against a wall. And people are like, Grunting wow, that Rob is... Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> That's true, we're both doing it. No. Oh, you can't the funny take either was, of us anywhere. No, the funny thing is the guy came up... I don't know what... I thought he was a scientist. I don't know. But he came up to me afterwards like, why does it work? And I proceeded to give him a lecture on the physics of it, even though it was just a guess. That's I was funny. like, you whack it one way, the, the wine wants to come back the other way. It pushes the, the thing out. Like, I don't think this is really that hard to comprehend but you're you're a magician it's impressive that it does work so <laughs> there you go next time you want to make a big impression at a party it has to be kind of a classy party that has wine and no bottle openers well even if it, it, this party had them it was just the fact of people like that can't work <laughs> and you show them how it works i'm glad it worked otherwise me it too been terrible or i broke it that would have been bad oh gosh and your shoe would have been really wet that's true. And it smelled like wine. It would get funky after time. I know. This is my fancy REI boots. <laughs> like the first boots I ever bought at REI, too. So I would be devastated because from what I understand, they're supposed to last multiple lifetimes. Good. Or REI will, will replace them. So Nice. Maybe when I go through the singularity, I can get a digital version of them when I live in Upload. <laughs> just trying to make good on a warranty yeah. oh yeah Once you, you said these were good for a lifetime i know what happens when i get digital i'm now digital so please scan and upload my lovely rei booth Kristen, what do you want to talk about next time i would like to first share the thing that blew me away because it wasn't the thing that we were talking about i thought why I did was. you bring that up then because it was the future of the thing we were talking about oh what blew you away? <laughs> There's a company called Bolt Threads who has turned uh, mushroom leather into uh, material that's ready for prime time production. Mm. Their leather, their mushroom leather looks like regular leather. Wow. They call it Milo and they're making stuff out of it. And I think that's really great. Not because I'm against leather, but because I think that it's cool that we have another material that is a little bit more sustainable hmm. than actual leather and is less polluting. Hmm. <laughs> it's like, not that I care about the animals, but <laughs> tanning leather is a really awful process. Oh, like, yeah. The chemicals involved in that are, are mm -hmm. rough. Yeah. So 
the the mushroom leather is a nice alternative and yeah, it wears cool. similarly. I'm excited about the future of mushrooms because you see a lot of things that they could be used for. Yeah. Packaging, right? Mm-hmm. Biodegradable packaging. Eating. So, eating. Well, I say that because as people become more into growing mushrooms there's more diversity so it's not just the white crimini mushrooms that you get from the grocery store anymore people are buying or uh, cultivating mushrooms that have more nutritive benefits mm-hmm. for human mm-hmm. consumption which i think is exciting yeah and it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because i just listened to a podcast this weekend about using cacti to create leather that's cool. Too, in Mexico. Mexico's that's got a special cactus there that's kind of a big part of their national identity. And apparently they've found a way to make leather out of it Huh. as a more sustainable way to make leather too. I would like to know more about that. Okay. Well, check out the Dual Lingo podcast because that's where I heard about it. I can share it with you. Okay. But it's the podcast for the app where you learn... We can learn different languages. And Duolingo. It's Duolingo's podcast. Of course, you have to be like, it's a little bit rough to listen to if you're not studying that language <laughs> because a chunk of it is in that language. There's, there's a fair amount of context that comes from the narration, which Wait, helps. is that article only for learners of Spanish language? Uh, about, I don't know how much I would say, 30, 40% of the podcast is in Spanish, so... And not translated, so you will not get it if you don't. Yeah, speak. so if I'm learning Russian, I'm probably not going to get that article. Correct, because it's focused on Spanish-speaking stories. Right. I'm still going to Google this. Well, I'll share it with you, but okay. anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, just Google. You don't have to listen to the whole podcast, but anyway, it's if, if you're interested in another language, I assume you've already learning another language. I assume you've already found Duolingo. If you haven't, go find it, because it's amazing. And their podcast is this incredible combination of language learning education about the world and just general feeling good about life it's amazing what they've done i you know it's always been my goal to educate and entertain and they not only educate and entertain they also just make you want to be a better person it's an incredible combination of things they've managed to pull off in this That's podcast really cool. and so yeah so it's it's great i'll often just hit play and go work outside and and it's amazing how it gets me thinking in spanish and and uh yeah you can think in spanish well yeah that's cool you're actually learning spanish (laughs) un poco (laughs) i had a dream that i knew spanish the other day that was a good sign that i'm studying it so much that it's starting to seep into my subconscious yeah yeah anyhow uh what would you like to talk about next week Okay, so because it came up in conversation, I do want to talk about cryotherapy. But yeah. I, I also, what I really want to talk about is um, breath work. But I think that I could weave Breath that. work. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just talk about breath work. I think it's important. Hmm. Okay. Breathing is important. And I think it's a skill that every single human being, with very few exceptions, are able to develop. Breathing is important reminds me of a game that I invented this weekend called Captain Obvious. (laughs) And the idea is that you read cards that have totally obvious statements on them and see how many other people laugh 
about how stupid the app. Not that that's stupid, but how obvious it is. You just called my topic stupid. No, I said saying that basically what I implied was that saying that breathing is important is a really obvious thing. So the reason I think it's important is because it allows us to deliberately tap into our parasympathetic nervous system Mm. and control things that we would otherwise allow to go unmediated. Yeah. Is this getting into that stuff where if you're at a meeting with somebody who's really stressed out, people start matching their breathing rhythm and getting stressed out too? It can be. I think that's an interesting thing to bring into the conversation. But I'm more, I'm talking about learning strategies for breathing. Like there's box breathing and there's also like Wim Hof is also brought into the conversation because of his breathing techniques. And he does some cold like ice baths Mm -hmm. too in conjunction with it. There's another company called... Oh, what is the name of it? Um, now that I'm trying to remember it, it's yeah. not gonna. Uh, it's I think it's Morosco, who also has a breathing technique. Yeah. So I've heard heard about some of this, and I challenge you to make me care next week. Oh, you will care. Because <laughs> I'm like breathing. And we could have a competition. Ugh. My my. Thanks for picking heart- this. <laughs> Really thrilling topic. Next, t- next time on the Insta Podcast, how to breathe. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> My resting heart rate is way lower than your resting heart rate. And wow. I'm, no, but I'm I'm convinced it's because. What if I'm I in a float tank? Well, let's find out. <laughs> we should find out if the it... resting heart rate of me in a float tank versus you just right now. Well, I think the let's see how low let's see how low we can go. I feel like you just said, like, my heart rate can kick your heart rate's ass. No. And you have that um, Amazon tracker. Yes, I do. The Alexa, not the Alexa tracker. What is it? The The heartbeat thing that I got to see if I had COVID. (laughs) Oh, that other thing that you gave me that I still haven't tried. Yeah, if you try it, it will track your heart rate. Okay. Yeah, my watch will do. Oh, good. Can you wear it in a float tank? No, of course not. You can't wear an Apple watch in a float tank? No way. You can't get them wet? No. Oh, I thought you could. Not this one. Oh. Other ones. Apple, what is going on? I don't know. They they saved the cool features for the later version, so you want to buy them. Lame. Indeed. <laughs> All right. Next time on the Insta Podcast, how to breathe good. <laughs> you make it sound so lame. <laughs> yeah, do it. Thanks, Kristen. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to the In Stuff podcast. If you'd like to join the discussion or see links to the things we referenced in today's episode, feel free to pop on over to instuffpodcast.com. That's the letter N, stuffpodcast.com. If you're enjoying the In Stuff podcast, check out my other podcast, Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska. In each episode, we share amazing true stories from Alaska told by the Alaskans who experienced them. The New York Times recently called Dark Winter Nights the best winter podcast for storytelling lovers. Check out Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, wherever you get your podcasts, or at darkwinternights.com. The In Stuff podcast is brought to you by Scratch Band, the brand new way to help you stop touching your face. Why is everyone telling you to wash your hands these days? Because they're covered with germs. Every time you touch your face, you're helping to put those germs into your body and make yourself sick. Until now... Scratch Band's patent-pending design allows you to scratch your face with your wrist instead of your fingers, shielding you from those gross hands. 
Made of medical-grade silicon, you can sanitize it in the dishwasher, washing machine, or even a microwave. So stop touching your face and making yourself sick and join the evolution. Scratch Band. More information at scratchband.life.